Welcome to Can I Speak to Your Product Manager, the nitty-gritty with your favorite PMs. I'm Kyle Kolich, Vice President of Product at Zora. And I'm Lucas Weber, Director of Product Management at Zora. On today's episode, we have Eugene Song, VP of Product Management at BrainPop. And we're going to start off the show by talking about his recent Never Have I Ever moment, as well as his best tips and insights for being a successful PM in the ever-evolving business landscape. All right. Thanks for joining us today, Eugene. Um, So each episode, we like to kick things off with a little game of Never Have I Ever. Never Have I Ever. Never Have I Ever. Never Have I Ever. Because as a PM, you probably get pushed to do things outside what you initially thought possible. And no matter what, it magically gets uh, done. So we wanted to bring your experiences on this outside to the inside of the life of a PM and get to know you a little better. So, uh, Eugene, uh, tell us a little bit about your Never Have I Ever. Sure. Uh, Thanks so much for having me, by the way. Um, So my Never Have I Ever... Um, during COVID, like a lot of folks, I found myself with a lot of time on my hands. Um, and it's been a lifelong aspiration of mine to play the drums, uh, to learn to play the drums. And I've, I've been a musician my entire life. I play a bunch of different instruments, but I've never gotten around to being able to play the drums. So here it was a lot of time on my hands and a basement at my disposal. Um, and I started in earnest to, to teach myself how to play the drums. I bothered my drummer friends all the time, sending them like, text and videos. How do I do this? Am I doing this right? And I think the the interesting thing for me about the entire process was it was humbling at the very least to become to to be a beginner at something again. And I think, you know, you get to a certain stage in your life or your career where you're kind of getting more comfortable with who you are and the things that you do. And you spend a certain amount of time, you know, building up expertise and things and to all of a sudden hit the reset button and go back to zero and to be totally like literally flailing around trying to figure out what's going on was a great learning experience. You know, it's it's so very different from playing so many other instruments that it, it was it was a real sort of context shift for me. So that was really, really great. That's awesome. So, so okay, drums. So usually we think of drums as something we'd give to our neighbors or friends that we don't really like for their children, you know, and, and see the chaos ensue. But so tell us more. Did you get an actual real drum set where you'd make the noise, or did you get one of these electronic digital ones where you could have a you know pair of headset um, headphones and? Yeah, no, I I decided to go for like the most annoying thing I possibly could. I had I had an old drum set that had been literally sitting in storage for like ten years. I hauled the thing out. I set it up in the basement, um, and initially uh, would 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 like. I had young, I have young kids, um, and so would sneak down to the basement at night because that was the only time I could get down, see at night, and like try to play as quietly as I possibly could. Which ultimately, I realized this is not a good way to learn how to play. You can't, you can't do that, right? So, so uh, eventually, would have to find pockets of time throughout the day to like, you know, actually go off and and play. Thank God, my my wife is very um, uh, accommodating for 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 this particular uh, hobby. And so, yeah, I, I, I would bang around a lot and, and try to learn to play songs that I really love. But yeah, it's very noisy. Very, very noisy. Especially in the beginning, right? The for beginning has, has got to be, you know, you don't you know how quiet you can be, how loud you can be. You're just, you know, hitting, you know, bang the drum as loud yeah. as you can and, and just trying to get a feel for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's noise. It, th- there's yeah, no it's two noise. ways about it. It's, just, <laughs> it's, a ton of, it's a ton of noise. Uh, and as far as my wife's concerned, it's still kind of noise, but it's, it's fine. Oh. It's fine. It's much, 
it's a little well, more organized you, noise now. <laughs> you've gotten better. You said you've gotten better. I have. That's I good. have. I have gotten better. I have gotten better. Well, so so tell us about the the getting better stuff because honestly, I mean, yeah, I see all the drummers right on uh, music videos or whatever. It just looks really easy, right? And and it sounds like, given your experience in other instruments, I mean, I, I can actually see a, a guitar in the background uh, here, right? So and uh, it sounds like maybe you know how to do that uh, quite a bit, like. Did you make really quick progress? Was it just an easy thing to onboard? And, you know, I mean, next weekend you were in a band. Like, can you tell us a little bit what, what that process looked like? Uh, as you as you sort of inferred from the guitar, I, I've played, again, music for a long time, played guitar for probably 30 years. And so there was the, the amount of the progress, the speed with which I was making progress actually was uh, like a barrier. I had, to, I had to be much more forgiving of myself uh, as to the amount of pra- progress I was making or what technique I was able to nail or whatever. Um, because I was holding myself to this sort of artificial standard where I'd say to myself, well, I-, I can this, I can do this like in my sleep, you know, this type of thing or this other thing playing the guitar. But I had to remind myself, look, you're, you're, remember, you're literally starting from scratch here. So you cannot hold yourself to that anymore. You have to open yourself to the possibility that it's just going to take you a while. You have to put in the hours, right? And you, we hear about this all the time, 10,000 hours, whatever. Totally true. Like you just have to just grind through and do it again and again and again at a certain point. And so the, the fascinating thing that I would see is that, uh, the thing that gets the most interaction or engagement on Instagram is usually the most flashy, like sensationalist kind of thing. And so the types of drumming that I would see on Instagram was people who could play super fast, super complex things, super clean, you know, just unbelievably like talented professional people, um, which overlooks the main purpose of having a drummer in a band, which is to set the heartbeat of the music and to really be the foundation upon which everyone else. And it, that requires a certain steadiness, you know, to your playing. But it definitely, there was definitely times where I'd look at the thing and go, Oh man, I'm never going to be able to do that. Like that's insane. You know, um, and so being able to sort of readjust your, your context, um, you know, during this process constantly, I think is also really important. Wow. Wow. There's some, some really great insights. And of course, you know, it's great to get to know you a little bit, right? Through, through these, uh, stories, uh, of, of never have I ever, but also we want to now bring in kind of that PM perspective, right? So, you know, can you give us maybe how this switch to a different instrument maybe applies to actually, you know, your, your product management role? Um, is there, is there some relationship there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, um, uh, again, I think that the, the theme or the most powerful thing for me was be, being a beginner and really leaning into this idea of, of not knowing how to do something, but still going through the process of finding sort of like these handholds and footholds that you can use to make progress. And I think as a PM, oftentimes you find yourself in situations where you have imperfect data, you are missing data. Yeah, it's an ambiguous business situation it's an ambiguous you know issue with customers and you don't have all the data that you want right like i think we certainly earlier on in at least in my pm career um you know there was this like uh idealized version of what product management was supposed to be like and how you have all this data at your fingertips needed and sometimes that's true but there was also a lot of times where you don't have that and the information is really imperfect and you have to figure it out and to me i think that's this sort of beginner mindset where you say to yourself, I'm going to try to uh, like put aside as many of the preconceived notions as I have about what might be going on here and to start a little bit from scratch, hit the reset button, reset button and 
really try to be more critical about what it is that I'm looking for here. And as you, you know, sort of step through the process of figuring out what's happening, you look again for these handholds like, uh, right, okay, this feels like maybe this kind of problem. Maybe I can verify that this other part feels like this part of this problem. And so through this sort of slow and steady process, again, it takes time. You, you, you got to move, but it takes time. Ultimately, you can sort of wade your way through the ambiguity and hopefully get to an action plan. So I, I think to me, that's like a, that's an invaluable trade for any successful PM is to be able to drop into a situation where you don't know what's going on. I guess I was always thinking that too. And I love all this data. So all my decisions will be easily constructed based on the data set I have. But a lot of times it's, it's a little, you know, you, you, you sense that the data is important, you know, it's, it's going to be there, but sometimes it doesn't give you that full picture. So there has to be the work and be able to kind of art, art, you know, articulate where that goes and, and make the, you know, sometimes the guesses, the educated guesses on, on the direction you want, like you said, the footholds or the uh, positions of it. But if you have that framework in mind, it allows you to navigate those waters a lot easier, which is, which makes a lot of sense. There's a couple of other things that I picked out of this thing. Well, first of all, new area, you're not an expert coming into it, but I'm sure you've leveraged what you've done in music before, right? So bringing other experiences gave you things to look for, maybe those footholds or handholds to, to put yourself up. Two, you've gone through that process before, so you knew that it would take time to become good at something or become an expert or get the insights you needed and the persistence. And of course, there was going to be frustration. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that the learning process wasn't just a smooth path to, to victory, right? But there was a lot of persistence, but you knowing that you've done this before and it's worth the, the outcome, the, the persistence then paid off. And I think for every PM, honestly, it's quite exciting to start on something brand new as frustrating and, and intimidating it may seem at first, right? And then make progress based on that. Um, and ultimately through persistence, actually gain insights, provide direction and, and deliver the outcomes. Absolutely. Yeah. We used to say back at NBC, uh, uh, invent with instinct. Um, but validate with data. And, and that like it, it basically is an account. I think that's a good encapsulation of actually what you were saying, uh, Lucas, right? Like you, you have these experiences and you built up these instincts. You should learn to trust the, the, the right ones, right? But you always have, you, you, you check yourself, right? Get the feedback, check yourself, start over, do it again, do it again and again. And the, the other thing too, with being a band, you have, you play different roles, right? Don't you have different roles in the band and how you kind of guide it? That's kind of similar with, with the, with the product you know, being a product manager. And I think that helps us kind of talk about segment two, which is innovation and the therapy and wild tales of it. Okay, so let's get in the nitty gritty, the day-to-day -day stuff, what's happening in the world of PMs. And I think one of those roles is, I think we talked a little bit before about, you know, you know, uh, managing products and then managing product managers and kind of some of the things you had to like take in consideration and how to work through that. You mind talking a little bit more about what you meant by that? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's always, a, it's always a tricky or sort of odd transition, I think, for product managers to become, uh, a after, you know, being in the product and it's all you live and breathe for so long to being put in a position where you're pretty far back from the product, you're separated away from it, you know, uh, uh, one degree of separation or possibly more if you're managing managers and so on and so forth. And so I think for, for me, the, the interesting, uh, part of this was trying to construct frameworks for for growth for product managers i mean you've got you've got these people in here who are you know ideally very sort of motivated ambitious in, in what they do and very good at what they do but they're they're always looking how do i grow right how do i go from being like the expert in my area for my features and my feature sets or my products and how where do i go from there and so one of the 
frameworks that I always use with my team is this idea of horizontal versus vertical influence. And so a common refrain for PMs always is like, you lead through influence, right? You don't have any direct authority over anybody. And so I try to think about sort of directionality when it comes to wielding that influence, right? And so if you think about sort of vertical influence or, you know, um, is like the, the depth with which you know your, your particular area, right? So you can go super deep on a very sort of narrow specific area. Um, and as like a, a sort of a novice PM or like a mid-level PM, like that's, that, that's kind of where you spend most of your time. I think as you start to graduate towards senior um, and you become a little bit more seasoned, um, your horizontal influence starts to grow a little bit more. And by horizontal, I mean, okay, so outside of your immediate team, outside of your squad, outside of your particular product area, you're now starting to bring different ideas of how to actually practice product management to your colleagues, let's say, or, you know, how we're going to manage certain things. You can sort of sideload mentorship to other PMs or that kind of thing. So you start to spread your influence a little bit around the product organization, uh, maybe as a whole. And then as you get more and more senior, like that grows as well. There's sort of a tipping point also, I think, when you reach like the quote unquote director or like groups or PM role, where you can become more of a horizontal influence to say other departments outside of product, right? So whether it's sales or operations or marketing or, or what have you, the breadth of your influence starts to grow. And then of course, once you reach more like leadership roles, head of product, VP product, product et cetera, now you're really talking most of your, your vertical influence is like, you're not really going so deep on products anymore. You're going much wider. And so you're thinking much more broadly about all of the products that you happen to, you know, that you happen to be responsible for or the entire portfolio that you're responsible for. And your job as a PM, uh, as far as like who you're influencing becomes the different leaders of all the different departments, right? So how do I set up, help set up my, the folks that I'm responsible for, directly responsible for, for success by building these bridges and relationships with the other, my, my sort of peer set. So I'm, I'm curious and I'm just going to ask you, so you're working for brain pop right now. Um, we'd love to hear a little bit more about maybe how you're applying just what you just said there. And, and maybe before we even go there, you could maybe tell us a little bit about what brain pop is and what do you guys do as a company? Sure. Brain pop is a digital learning resource and platform. We have been around for almost 25 years. I think at this point, we like to say that we were ed tech before ed tech was a thing. Um, we were streaming video before streaming video was a thing, you know, like we, we've been around for, for a while. Um, and, um, we were most well known, uh, I would say for, for these, the content that we've um, been producing for all this time, which are these sort of short, sort of five to seven minute long explainer videos. And, and that's, uh, you know, across a, a variety of time, I think we cover a thousand different topics at this point or probably more. Um, and so that's kind of how we came up and, and, and got to everybody kind of got to know our product through these, through these amazing videos that, that help explain, um, concepts to kids. Over the years, we've evolved into more of a, a learning platform, right? So it's really not just about content consumption at this point. Now it's really more including things like different types of assessments, formative assessments and otherwise. And then ultimately, you know, the shift that we've been making, pushing towards a lot harder over the past couple of years is how do we take the, the output of those assessments and actually show uh, learning outcomes across the spectrum of different metrics, and then ultimately help inform the sort of next steps of learning for for students and to help teachers that way. So that's like a super super high level about what it is that we do. Yeah, this is awesome. So so that time, so it's ed tech, and it's specifically for students, right? So particular ages, grades, is it across? Yeah. The board? So we we service uh, K through eighth grade. K through eighth. Okay. 
Well, okay. So obviously the interesting thing was, uh, I, I have kids and Kyle does too. And I think a lot of our listeners uh, do as well. And of course, something's been happening over the past two, three years that had our kids be at home and do a lot of uh, learning at home. Did, did that, you know, how, how did that impact you guys? It was it was hugely impactful, I think, for, for all of EdTech. Um, it was uh, kind of a strange juxtaposition. I think I know for a lot of us where there were so many people that were having such a hard time during COVID um, times, but uh, because everybody was remote and a lot of the learning was remote or, you know, mo- most places were 100% remote for a while, um, all of these schools and districts and teachers um, and other educators turned to digital learning resources to help their, their, you know, continue um, educate, educating their students. Um, and so, you know, BrainPop was definitely, we've, we've always, you know, again, we've been around for 25 years, a pretty big footprint, but um, COVID definitely sort of blew the doors open once again for us and a lot of other uh, of our peers as well. Um, and so from a sort of marketer, indi- you know, industry standpoint, what was interesting is that it sort of a, ex- vastly accelerated um, the, the adoption of a lot of the infrastructure and technologies that are necessary in schools in order to actually support the types of learning that we can provide you know, as a digital provider or a digital uh, uh, learning provider. Um, so uh, that was sort of one thing that, you know, one sort of aspect of the the, the uh, sort of industry or sea change that we saw. Um, the other one was, you know, with the uptake of all of these tools, um, you know, uh, a lot of districts found themselves with just a ton of these like subscriptions and contracts that they had signed for, you know, because they had to just to survive um, as learning went sort of swung back to in person. There was a lot of questions raised, like I think any responsible administrator would ask. They go, hey, I have all this stuff on my budget now. Do I need it? Is it doing anything for me? Like, why should I keep it? I think also sort of naturally, as, as you know, we see always in, in sort of tech adoption or, you know, just product abdo- uh, adoption. Your users become more um, educated about the thing that they're using. Their needs uh, are becoming a little more nuanced. And so it's really not just like, okay, kids are at home, just put something in front of them, anything. We just got to get through this. Now it's like, oh, hang on a second. We can actually be a lot more critical about the types of tools that we're using and what it's actually doing for our, for our students. Um, uh, we sh- then they turn to folks like us and say, what are you doing for, you know, like prove it, like wh- show me what it is that, you know, and and so um, you know, I think I think the the acceleration towards uh, being able to prove learning outcomes and to show learning outcomes um, uh, has been pretty swift, you know, over the past couple of years uh, across the industry. And so it's something that everybody's keenly, keenly interested in doing. You know, there's no exactly like one way to do this either. It's 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 a the whole you know, as just generally speaking with education, you know, um, there's no one way to solve all these problems. And so everybody is trying to figure out. How can you best represent learning outcomes and growth um, to to your users and customers? Now, do, do you it. do you offer any classes for the parents so they can catch up on the new math and things that your kids are learning? And you don't seem like you're. How come, Daddy? You don't understand this? I'm like they you taught it differently back day. They, they didn't. They I didn't know. teach it this way. <laughs> they they changed math. Oh, well, wow, geez. You changed math. Um, like, they didn't tell the parents because I'm like, you're doing it wrong, mm-hmm. daddy. I'm like, well, I thought this is how you do it. So yeah, that's a good class. You, you should add that. Yeah, we should. Can't carry the one anymore. We do actually have a, you know, a lot of teachers use our videos too, like yeah, to, yeah, to yeah. like sort of bone up on the basics. I know parents, like even during COVID, like we, we sent it out to parents and we were like, you know, we have this video on what's happening with COVID. Like you should watch it. So um, yeah, I think our, our, 
our our uh, content is aimed at K to eight, but man, it's it's universally accessible. So this must be a, quite a challenging thing, both in terms of the growth, right, and, and adoption of your products. But I think the the bigger challenge is you you particularly mentioned that districts are looking for outcomes to prove this stuff. So this this has got to just be something very challenging and 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 really a great opportunity for you guys. Any any recommendations that you know, given the the great upswing and now kind of the grand rationalization, right, of these services, are you get you know w- what's changed? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's definitely something we've been focusing real hard on and, and pushing more towards as a as a company. Um, certainly, it's reflected in our product as well. We've been rolling out you know brand new reports and insights that are so much more granular and specific about about exactly these types of learning outcomes um, and and have gotten incredibly great feed, you know positive feedback from from everybody that we've shown them to. I think as a as a product leader as a VP of product, like you. Um, the, the types of questions that, that I asked myself and, and my colleagues, you know, head of design, head of user research, you know, head of learning design sort of all asked ourselves during this process was, you know, we, we know kind of tactically how to solve some of these problems. And yeah, there's like a new report over here that we need to build or a different type of assessment or like whatever. But we also have a portfolio of products that have built up over the past 25 years or so. And so, you know, you have this, this sort of like portfolio of products. How does it all fit together? You know, because you spend like a lot of SaaS companies, you spend a lot of time like solving this problem over here, then you go solve that problem over there. And then there's another problem over there that you solve, right? And and it's great. You've got this basket of SKUs that your sales team can go and sell. But um, when you're trying to sort of fundamentally shift the direction of the company and the perception of your company and the, the, the things that you're trying to do for your customers who now their needs have changed quite drastically, you know, in a relatively short period of time, especially when you're talking about education, which, you know, the cycles are years long. Um, uh, you have to think, I, you know, we, the challenge for us, I think was to think a lot more holistically about the entire portfolio. How does this all fit together? And how do you steer that ship to the point where you're able to deliver these, you know, as we talked about these learning outcomes or whatever, um, there are different ways to do this, right? Like there are these like super dry, like test preppy kind of products out there that, that do that really well, you know, and that's fine. But that's not us, right? So the additional challenge then uh, that you have to concern yourself with the product is what is the heart and soul of the product? Like, why do people even like this thing in the first place? Well, it's because of who we are. It's the way that our, you know, I would I would argue that the one thing that we do better than anyone else in the entire world is the way that we talk to kids. The way that we communicate the information to children is our special sauce. Like, it's just, it's, it's, amazing to like see our editorial and our video production team like in our script writer and all the people that and learning designers and all the people that go into making this content the way that they're able to frame these things and explain things is it's great you know and it's always been our strength and so how do you and, and it sort of has infused itself through the dna of the product in in different ways how do you make sure that you can take something that has been so um so amazing for for so many people and so many kids and in, in the way that it talks in this sort of and that it's a very sort of um uh, it's almost hard to nail down like what's so great about it. How do you take that and then also make this product that's like super rigorous, more linear, you know, like <laughs> is like infused with like recommendations and so that sort of thing. Like you're all of a sudden like formalizing a lot of this product in a way that's never been done before. How do we make sure that we address our customers' needs um, and change the the shape of the products in the company without losing 
the heart and soul of what made us great in the first place. How you guys talk to kids is kind of like the way that you'd be different than the other companies that provide similar testing preps and different, you know, videos for learning. But that, that, that special sauce, I think you're right. It's the hard to get it throughout all your products and have the all kind of navigate toward that North star. But if they do, you create that very holistic experience for that customer throughout all of the, the interactions they have with, you know, from what, what, from product A to product Z, which is, which is very hard to do. But once you do it, is, it, 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 it almost seems easy to the user, right? It seems like intuitive, like it should be like this, but you don't understand how hard it was to get it Absolutely. like that. Absolutely. Great technology gets out of the way, right? And so if it's really working the best way that it should, then it should be almost transparent to the, to the teacher. Like, you, you see these, oh God, it's amazing. You'll, you'll, you'll see these videos of kids, you know, using our product in the classroom. And I have never said, I don't know about y'all when you were in school or like what happened, but like kids will like do a brain pop movie and a brain pop activity. And afterwards they will literally get up and dance because they're so happy with the experience that they just had. And I'm like, I definitely don't remember any, at any point during my schooling getting up and dancing because I was so happy about the lesson I just got at school. Like that's I was never... happy leaving. I was happy leaving right, the exactly. classroom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bell rings, days over. Now Bell I'm ring. dancing out the door. Yeah. Yeah. That's great, you know, but like, um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's an incredible challenge. Like, how do you make something that's more, uh, you know, on the one hand, quote unquote, academically rigorous, you know, which you can argue about what that actually means. But, you know, inevitably, that's going to include some sort of assessment of what it is that you're learning. And it's going to, you know, require from the teacher side, like now analyzing what how the kids are doing and then from the administrator. Like, how do you make all that work in a way that doesn't lose the magic of what it is that made you great in the first place? It's it's great. It's a it's a really it's a really cool challenge to have. It's a good place to be. How to measure the magic. Right. Yeah, that is that is a challenge. Super cool. Super cool story. Excellent. Um, Eugene, um, maybe good, good time to switch to our next segment called PM Power Moves. Power. Powering up. Power Moves. I wanted now to just narrow it down to, you know, the, a moment or, or a situation where you need to really wrestle something down um, and, and bring out the, the PM toolkits and power tools and whatever else necessary to get things done. Is there a particular story maybe that stands out in your mind that, that that's worth talking through? Yeah, there was, um, there was a moment a few years ago where we were, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we have this brand new product called Brain Pop Science that's specifically aimed at middle school students grades around six to eight. Um, and uh, a couple of years ago, we were um, in the early phases of building what was essentially going to be a beta for this product. And we found ourselves in the position without, without a product lead. Uh, on this, on this, this initiative. Um, and so, you know, I kind of looked around the room and I was like, well, I guess it's me that, you know, like there's, you know, if, if nobody's raising their hand, it's probably you. So, um, I had to kind of roll up my sleeves and remember what it was like to be a PM again, uh, and got back in there writing tickets and doing grooming sessions and, you know, sprint playing all this other stuff. And I think the, the interesting thing for me was, again, this sort of context shift. And it's, I guess, the reverse of what we were talking about before, right? Like all of a sudden finding yourself as a manager of managers and then flipping the switch and dropping back, you know? And so I think, I think as a PM, like that's a, that's a common, um, sort of, uh, pattern, I guess that you see with PMs is that you're often, 
the gap filler in a lot of ways, right? Like if it's just not happening or something's, you just got to do it. You gotta, you're responsible for getting you know, the, the outcome and the output. So get in there and get it done, right? Um, and so uh, I, I, this is one of those instances where I found myself and, and I just had to go in there and figure this out. Um, and in this particular case, I think the team was, was, uh, was sort of stuck um, there was again, like a lot of, they were swimming in ambiguity. It was, you know, brand new product, you know, like something very, very new. The way that we were approaching building this product was something very new for the company at the time. Um, and, and that we had a hard time nailing down the value proposition and we had, and so, um, I felt like my chief role there and, and something again, that I feel like a lot of PMs understand is like, how do you just get your team unstuck? Right. Cause you can swirl forever in this sort of analysis paralysis phase. Um, and so, you know, get, like for me, like it was, it was making like the deep partnerships that I had with people, you know, like my, again, my colleagues in design and so on and so forth, you know, just getting together, jamming on stuff and, um, trying to, trying to, uh, really break it down to the simplest thing possible. Right. Like at some point, I think my, my colleague just went to her designers, like draw something, just like, like stop sitting around talking about it, just draw some, start, just start, you know, it's not going to be perfect. We're going to throw away. It's fine, but just start with something. Right. And ultimately what we got to was we had to define what was the min. I know we talk about minimum viable product, minimum level, level product. It was, and and that process for us was identifying a journey that we, that was contained enough that we could build for beta in the amount of time that we had um, that would showcase that this was different than our original product. Right. Because again, like, because we had the luxury of, of building this product a few years ago, we had all of this already in our heads about, okay, we have to, this has to, this is going to have to be a much more rigorous, has to be more standalone. We have to build from the ground up to do these things that the other product was not built from the ground up to do. So we had the luxury of all that. How do we, what is the, what is the cleanest, simplest way to demonstrate that to anybody who, who happens upon this, upon this sort of early access uh, version of the product? And so, that was ultimately what, you know, what we had to define and, and, you know, uh, you know, I had to just sort of get in there and do it myself, I guess. Um, and it was great. And it was, it was certainly a learning process. And thank God I was able to hire somebody who was much better at me than doing all that, you know, and, and, you know, r- right at the tail end. And so I just kind of handed her, I was like, well, here it is, you know, yeah, this is what you're getting. Just so you know, like we got to get this thing out the door and then you can go on and do your own thing. Um, uh, and we did. And it was great. Um, and, and the, the product is doing really, really well right now. Um, it's a, the, the product itself is amazing. I think it's it's one of the coolest things I've had the pleasure of working on in a long time. You hear that a lot when you get kind of stuck and like almost like an analysis paralysis mode where you don't know where to go. You want to get something out and then you, you take too long. And what I've found too is that even if it's not perfect, get in front of a customer or get in front of a user uh, sooner because then you can start iterating and changing, right? Because if you, if you iterate, if you, Take too long and try to, oh, I'm going to build it, the perfect user flow. And you spend ease and you know, weeks doing it. And the customer goes, this makes no sense. This is hard. I don't like this. And you're like, oh, no. <laughs> I'm assuming you, you test users or how, do, how does that fold in your process of getting kind of the, the end user to try out these, these new products? Yeah, we'll prototype things as rapidly as we can, whether honestly, it's like a step above a napkin sketch sometimes, but you know, we'll use things like Figma and it's, you know, clickable designs and that kind of stuff to get stuff in front of users as quickly as we can. Um, you know, to your point, that's, that's the easiest way to figure out if something's even in the ballpark. <laughs> you know, like if they look at the thing and they're like, 
what what is yeah, okay all right fine back to the drawing board yeah absolutely we try to prototype as, as much as we possibly can certainly in the early stages of, of something like this and i think the other point that you made is that sometimes you find that on your team there may actually not be a team member to to take on something that needs to get done right and 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 one of the things you particularly pointed out on here is that yeah the, the product lead was actually not not there I think the key thing you're highlighting there, sometimes the right person to do the job is actually you, right? So um, now the key thing, obviously, is not to take everybody's job away. But the point is when there is a gap to to fill it. And that is really the, the job of a product manager, right? Is to manage what needs to be done, uh, sometimes by pitching in. I think this also goes into another role of product managers to to, to know to, to, to ship it or to skip it. What do you want to do? Let's do it. No. No, maybe. Yes. This is a, a, the, our last segment to talk about where, you know, it's going to be for fun. Um, and, you know, Excellent. we'll throw a couple couple product examples out there of, of uh, you know, would you ship it, bring it to market, or just skip it and hide it away from everybody? So the first one, right. because you're a drummer, and I know there's a controversy about drumming, on the pl- <laughs> plastic tip drumsticks over the oh, wooden man. ones. Uh, I Which skip one? the plastic tips, man. I Skip, skip it. it. Skip it. Yeah, I'm a I'm a purist, man. Go go. It's got to be wooden. Uh, I can't. All right. I can't do the right. plastic. There, there's yeah. a whole whole board about that. <laughs> oh, I'm. Uh, yep. Yeah. I wanted to get your opinion on it. I'm like, oh wow, there's a lot of debate on that one. Yeah, I'm sure I pissed somebody off by saying that, but yeah, it's it's got to be. Forget the plastic tips. Okay. All right. We'll we'll, we'll definitely hide the, the 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 trolls and comments off of that one. <laughs> um, what about Google Glass? Oh man. Um, I, I'm going to say ship it. Um, I, I think, I think that it's, it had an unfortunate reception. I think when it first came out, uh, I have a picture of myself trying on a pair when I worked at the New York times, we got an, an advanced set of these and I did look ridiculous with these on. Um, I, I think that there's such a cool use case for these things though, if you get it right. And I don't think that it's like the everyday, like day-to-day thing that, you know, people just walk around with this thing. I think like, and I actually think the glass team went and did this. Like, I think they went and looked at industry and figured out, are there ways that we can actually help people, you know, in like on like factory lines, as an example. Uh, I think this was the experiment they ran. Right. And like, oh, God, I think that that stuff, I think, is amazing. It would be an amazing and not so ridiculous looking application of something like this. Um, but uh, yeah, ho- hopefully, hopefully we can get there. It also could fold into some of the learning, too. I mean, I, I, there, there has to be some way of maybe folding to help kids learn better and you know we haven't tied the dots but there may be something there uh absolutely fly, flying cars Ooh. uh I, I i'd skip it for now i'd skip it i'd skip it okay i i feel like we gotta we gotta get the regular cars like there's a, a lot safety. that we need to do with some regular yeah yeah i think you know i i, I flying cars I would be nervous again. I'm gonna, I'm gonna skip it. Skip it. Maybe with Lucas because he is a pilot, so I feel better with he was using it. But maybe just absolutely me, who lives in absolutely. New York, who yeah. drives maybe no. once, once, once every uh, <laughs> six months. I probably shouldn't be in front of a car that flies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely not in front of the car, Kyle. Be inside the car. Just pro <laughs> that's tip. Right. That's right. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay. Smoking like a true New Yorker. I love it. That's Great. Right. <laughs> studying abroad uh, that that was interesting uh, wow. that uh i would I, i'd certainly ship that i think yes yeah ship that i think study is for for people who can 
get, you know, access that kind of thing. And, you know, it'd be great if it was more accessible. I think we spend so much time in our own bubbles, right? Like, and I think, um, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's always, I actually never studied abroad myself during, during school. I've had other experiences sort of traveling abroad and doing other things. And I think, um, it always is a, just a great way to take yourself outside of your context, learn something new about the way that other people live, um, and, and, and how they think. And ideally, you, you know, my theory is that, um, everybody's more or less the same, right? But I think at their core, everybody kind of wants the same thing. And I think one of the great things about, about going abroad is learning the different ways that people sort of approach that particular problem for themselves. Um, so I would say, yeah, I'd ship it. I'd, I'd, I'd keep studying. Always, always up for getting a new perspective on things, right? Um, around the things that, that everybody cares about and, and what's valuable. All focusing on outcomes. Awesome, Eugene. Excellent. Kyle, anything else on your list of ship it to skip it? No, I think that was it. I want to thank you, Eugene, for uh, joining us today. I think it was a, a great conversation. I uh, really appreciate it. Yes, thank you so much. This was us. super fun. Thank you all. Okay. Well, I, you know, I had a, it was a great conversation, Lucas, I don't know what you thought, but, uh, I, I think I learned a lot. I liked the, uh, uh, that, you know, the, the way he talked about, um, you know, the data and I like that quote of, uh, invent with instinct to validate with data. I think that's a, it's a really valuable quote. I think a lot of PMs kind of run through that. I like the framework he had about the horizontal and vertical, uh, moments as a PM and how, as you progress through your career, uh, you know, that, that perspective changes and you kind of go, you know, wider and wider and less vertical. And then I think fine. I like, I like the, uh, you know, when he looked at his products and, you know, that heart and soul of what made it great and how they were good at talking to kids kind of gravitate all the products to kind of line to that North star and kind of give that journey to that customer to feel very consistent across all the products and, and give them that, you know, the, the customer feeling that this is easy. This is great. I like using this, even though, again, it was very hard to get all that collaborated, but, to put it together was uh was, was pretty great because what do you think would you would you come out with? yeah yeah no absolutely I, I agreed with the points you, you've made uh really enjoyed the conversation i think my biggest takeaway really was um looking for those new experiences and and going into it with an open mind and persisting through it whether that's learning how to play drums right where we started uh, learning to uh, work through challenging times, like uh, what might be a great opportunity with uh, with COVID there, but also then the great challenge of of you know staying with the customers that have used you in in those times, which were I think kind of unique, and continuing to show value and outcomes even in the longer longer term. And, and then we talked also about launching the brand new product there. Um, and like I said, there was some you know no real idea, lots of great things, but no clear path forward. And so the idea is to just leap in, learn uh, quickly, persist, even though it may be frustrating, and then ultimately uh, focus on the outcomes uh, and then ultimately launching new products as well. Uh, so I really like that. And I think the last insight that I took away from it was really, you know, great tech gets out of the way, right? Um, uh, Google Glass is a great question on our ship it to skip it. Uh, that's a very visible tech that, that's kind of in the way. But Obviously, if it has uh, the the right killer app in it, then then it will be useful and and can get out of the way and, and allow you to do wonderful things. So again, great conversation with uh, Eugene Song. Uh, looking forward to having him on again at some time in the future and seeing if he picked up another instrument. 
That's true. And and I'm definitely taking the uh the, the class uh on new math. So I so I I can help my kids get pa- get past uh third grade. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, very good. Great conversation with Eugene again. Thanks so much for for joining us. We'd love to uh, have you obviously join us on the, the next episode. So please don't forget to uh, subscribe and hopefully we'll see you and talk to you on the next episode. Thank you. Take care.